If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I'm on the team of elders that leads the church. And today is a special Sunday. We are honoring a tradition at least three years in the making where we end the year by remembering, remembering what God has done this year. And we go to the end of the Bible at the end of the year to revere what God has done and to kind of look back with that context on what is God doing in world history? And now at the end of the year, how can we see our lives with his grace more through the lens of an eternal concept of how God is moving? Instead of simply seeing our lives in that kind of like chronologically myopic zoomed in, I'm only seeing things based on my current circumstances and needs. We can have a better context for our story. Now, we go to the end of the Bible and we see the power of Christ's blood, the utter devotion of the life of the saints. The third factor we'll see here in Revelation 12, you can start turning there, is the title of our sermon, the, the power of testimony. The power of testimony. At the, at the end of days, these three factors, the devotion of the saints, the blood of Christ, and the power of testimony are the three things that will mark how we conquer the evil one. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet to honor God's word. Revelation chapter 12, toward the end of the Bible, the last book of the Bible. We'll read verses 7 through 11. Now, war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them, the dragon and the, his angels, in heaven, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world, he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Verse 10, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the word or the the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony for they loved not their lives even unto death. The word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word. Father, help us to remember that you've brought us so much victory in what you've already done. And what you've done on the cross, leading up to what you, you will do in finality in the last day, that is the main thing that dictates world history. Not our sin, not any government, not any war, not any devil. But the main thing that colors and paints history is what you've done and extending what you've done to all of creation by faith and our obedience. So Lord, I pray that you would give us grace to have a greater understanding, maybe not of all the things that we go through. Maybe we don't understand why we go through what we go through in every little detail. But we can know you who knows. And we can be better wrapped up in your story 
and through what you're doing, have a better framework of seeing our story, our testimony. And if we see that, Lord, we can have greater victory and power to overcome the evil one. So, Lord, we declare that over ourselves. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, Every year for the last four or five years at least, when it comes to the last few days, the last week or two of the year, I'm reading Revelation because I read the Bible from front to back every year. And I have a few thoughts about reading apocalyptic scripture. There's a lot of imagery, a lot of uh, metaphors and, and pictures in Revelation in particular. And it's kind of like a double-edged encouragement to you. In one sense, I think it's wise to just resolve that you won't fully understand all of the details in books like the book of Revelation or apocalyptic scriptures like uh, Amos or Daniel, some of the, the writings of the, the many-horned beasts and things like that. It's good to go ahead and just resolve that maybe I won't have a tidy little timeline that's going to fit my understanding of world history. And so we can resolve that certain things are best left to mystery as I trust God and I witness the things that he's promised play out in front of us, right? But on the other hand, it is good to study. In fact, Revelation is the only book in the Bible that gives you a special blessing for studying it. It's good to study and understand, and I think for at least two reasons. Number one, it's good to understand, have a little bit of perspective about what world history is. That speaks a better world than word than what we think the stock market tells us. Stock market tells us about what world history is saying, or what what our job security tells us about world history, or or our relational world tells us about what life is like. No, it's it's good to know the finality of the end times and then navigate our life around what we know, which is more sure than what everyone in the world knows. It's what's been in the word of God and what is revealed to us. So in one sense, having that understanding is helpful, but also seeing in Revelation things about God's character. His eternal virtues are important. His holiness, his righteousness, his costly love, his severity, his mercy. So let's resolve that we won't fully understand the book of Revelation in particular, but there's blessing to grow in understanding of God and of history as we study. Amen? So we're going to do that. First point I have, I have two main points today, and then we're going to share, we're going to actually activate what we're learning in a powerful way today as per our tradition. First point is this. God doesn't fight the devil. Now that might come as a surprise to you, but I think you'll see from scripture and we'll have a better perspective. God doesn't fight the devil. There, there's no cosmic war between God and Satan. God is not depleting his energy in battle nor has God ever agonized over how to conquer and eradicate demonic forces. Now let's look at what the Bible says, because our opinion is lesser than what this declares. So verse 7, Now war arose in heaven between Jesus... Wait, does it say that? Okay. War arose in heaven. Michael and his angels 
fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back against who? Other angels. So you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God creates angels who are infinitely lesser than God. And these angels are fighting amongst themselves. Verse 8, but he, the, the devil, was defeated and there was no longer any place for the devil and his, follow, his following angels in heaven. And a great dragon was thrown down and that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. So this is a pretty powerful angel. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. God doesn't fight the devil. God spoke the entire earth and world and people into existence with words. If he wanted to end everything all at once, he could speak one word. It would require no fight. It would require no sweat on God's part. God is God, and beside him there is none other. There is no one like God. God's enemy is not as if it were his arch enemy, like Marvel end times, like Thanos or something. Did I say that right? Thanos. There is no God-like being standing against God. God doesn't fight, in essence, the devil. He temporarily permits things like sin and evil to exist so that his purposes might be fulfilled. Now, I often hear things like, how would a good God permit the existence of evil? And my answer is always something like, for the same reason that God has permitted the existence of you and me. And the context is this, before creating the earth, we we see glimpses of this in Revelation and other prophetic writings that the before the earth was, was created, before what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, God created, before creating the, the seen universe, he created angels, angelic beings. He also created the multi-headed creatures that you see in Revelation 2. Those are going to be interesting to see as well when we get to heaven. But he created angels in particular before everyone else. And we see that one of these angels, a high up, powerful angel, a beautiful, what we could call the worship leader of heaven, Lucifer, foolishly tried to exalt himself against God and above God and rebelled against God. And thus a rebellion started. And it says here that in verse 9, he was thrown out of heaven or literally thrown down to earth and his angels with him. Now we know that this was about one third of the angels that had been created before mankind was created. We don't know if one third means like that's hundreds or billions. We don't know, but it was a third. And my point is that God has never and will never fight these rebellious angels. And those who these angels amidst humanity can deceive into following them. So here's the basic framework of how it works. God creates creation, and often creation rebels. In fact, that's the digression. 
God creates, creation rebels. Now, I just told you about how Satan rebelled before we even ever rebelled. So we were born into a rebellion because there was already a rebellion amongst angels. When God created mankind different than angels, it says we created us in his own image that Satan was already in rebellion and sin was already existent in creation before Adam and Eve's sin, before they were tempted to join the rebellion with Satan. And we since then have had that rebellion in our DNA, our sin nature, our fallen nature, much like Satan. And I say this to say that were it not for the grace of God, giving mercy to those human beings that are in rebellion, like you and me, born into this, our story wouldn't be categorically different than Satan's story of rebellion. We'd be children of the same movement and digression and darkness. We'd be deceiving ourselves, you know, trying to, to live the good life in our own eyes while denying the author of life and refusing to worship him. When creation rebels, God doesn't fight back. He permits the rebellion so that he might fulfill his purposes. And I just want to ask a handful of y'all, how many of y'all have seen the new Star Wars movie? I've seen it. A few of us. Now, I've heard someone, I won't mention his name. I might be pointing at Alberto right here. Okay, I said his name. Man, Star Wars is... It's so much like the Gospels all over it. Um, and I, I don't, I'm sorry, I might spoil something. Maybe there's, there's, there's some Gospel. You can plug your ears. In essence, yeah, we're all like Palpatines, I guess. We're all like evil. We got some evil in us. The seeds of sin is in all of us. Uh, th- there's darkness. Darkness there is in all of us, Right? But in a lot of ways, in some really fundamental ways, you need to know that the gospel is not like Star Wars. There is not this like cosmic battle between good and evil. Man, we just wonder who's going to win. God doesn't fight darkness. He creates, creation rebels, and God momentarily, so far it's been thousands of years, but momentarily compared to his eternal plan, allows rebellious creation to exist and persist so that he might have his way in us. God is not on the same level or anywhere near it as evil or as mankind or as the most powerful human beings. God is God and beside him there is no other and he does not fight evil. God allows time as he reserves his righteous punishment for an appointed moment and moments. Now, one of the appointed times that he reserves for judging sin and and for expressing his wrath over and against the rebellion was the cross of Calvary. And the other time that's really important that we see in the book of Revelation all over it 
is the end times, the end of days. Now this first point where God expressed the fullness of his wrath over and against the rebellion of sin is really important to our story as we see it in Revelation 12. Because without that point in time on a Friday afternoon at the cross of Calvary, we wouldn't understand how to see the end times and how to read words like in, in, in verse 11 here, the blood of the lamb. And this is key. We just got done celebrating Christmas. How many of y'all really loved Christmas? Did you get some presents? She got a watch. We, we, we celebrate Christmas. And remember, we celebrate Christmas. Do you remember why we celebrate Christmas? Santa Claus, right? No. For Jesus. Nailed it. Get her some cookies in the back. We celebrate Christmas because this is the time where God himself entered into the world of rebellion. He didn't just judge us from afar. He came into the midst of a sinful world. He was the first person ever to be born into creation without being created. Think about that. Jesus came into creation that was fallen and rebelling against God himself. He was born into creation without being created. In essence, without the seeds of rebellion in him. Now, my kids, my kids were created and born. They have the seeds of rebellion in them. They got their sin from me. I gave them my sin. That's how it works. But Jesus was conceived by the seed of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin. First person to ever be born sinless. Adam was created without sin and then fell into sin. And since Adam and Eve, we've, we've born the seeds of the rebellion. But Jesus was born without sin. And he lived a perfect life. The first person that's never uh, in his whole life been deserving of the wrath and punishment of God. And so he could have just carried on eternally as holy and perfect and divine as the perfect man. And yet he chose to trade, to trade the wrath we deserve for the life that only he has ever earned. He became our wrath bearer, substitute, our substitute rebellion dissolver. He shed his blood in our place. Then he rose from the dead to prove that the power of Satan, the power of hell, it's no match for Jesus. And don't think that on that Friday afternoon, you know, Jesus died because he fought and he just wasn't able to win the battle. No. History in multiple moments, people have misunderstood that to be the case. But Jesus says, willingly, I lay my life down. He willingly laid his life down to pay the penalty of our sin. And he rose again from the dead to prove his power over, over the devil and sin and hell. And so his blood speaks a better word than the bloodshed in the whole story of all of humanity. And when our lives by faith are rewritten in the colors of his blood, 
it tells a beautiful and unstoppable and conquering testimony about how his love conquers our rebellion and frees us to spread this sort of conquest everywhere. And so we receive this story and we spread this story by faith. Remember last week we unpacked the scripture, 1 John 1. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us by his blood from all unrighteousness. I said that the cross of Calvary is one place where we see the judgment of God stamped down against the rebellion because Jesus, as our substitute, became the person who received wrath. The other time where there is a reckoning against the rebellion will be the final reckoning at the end times where Jesus, the Lamb of God, who has ascended into heaven and who is seated at the right hand of God will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. And so listen, church, until that day when Jesus comes back, we apply the purchase of his first coming until the time of his second coming. That's why it says in the last days, They overcame by the blood of the lamb, that which he accomplished in his first coming. We can silence our accuser up until the day of his second coming and his final kingdom. His blood is the hinge of the whole story. So when we're living our life and we're overcoming the rebellion, whether it's, uh, things in us that still need to be sanctified, parts of our story where we've allowed anguish to turn into anxiety and fear where it does not belong in the soul of a Christian, we can apply his righteous sacrifice and his purchase to our account. Jesus takes the punishment we deserve and his blood also paints the testimony of victory in our lives. So if we have faith in him, we're not under judgment, we're under his blood. And anytime the accuser accuses us of, oh, we deserve punishment, we, we don't have to hide and be like, I wonder if I deserve punishment. I wonder if I'm bad enough or, you know, if I'm good enough. No, we don't have to wonder. We can say, I deserve punishment, but Jesus took my punishment. He took my consequence on the cross. So from the cross of Calvary to the end of time, this is a season of mercy where we are receiving the blood of Christ. We're extending, extending the blood of Christ and preaching the gospel to others. And we're remembering. We receive, we extend, we remember. And it's this rhythm of life of, okay, well, Life is telling me that I'm supposed to remember some lesser thing. So what do I do? I receive, I extend, and I remember. Because God doesn't have to fight the devil. He doesn't fight the accuser. He doesn't fight accusation. He silences it. He eradicates it. And he gives us the power to join him in that progressive process in our life. Now let's see how he does this by looking at the last few verses of Revelation 12 in our passage. 
I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, now the salvation and the power of the, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. The accuser of the brothers, of the brethren, has been thrown out, who accuses them day and night. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, for they have not loved their lives even unto death. Now there's so much here that I, I need to underline one last thing. Number one, God doesn't fight evil, but number two, we must. We must fight the devil. Now, isn't it interesting? It says salvation has come, but it doesn't say salvation has come, so we don't have to keep fighting. If you think that the the presence of salvation in your life means that you're done fighting, you have a misunderstanding of what the gospel is salvation has come. So now we have the indestructible weapon to wage war, a victorious war, a battle against everything else. I've, I've been a Christian for 22 years and I actually kind of thought at the start, like, man, I won't have to keep fighting. And there were certain things that I was, as I would go to growth groups and I would confess my sin, I didn't know that it'd just be like a, a constant fight. And one of the things that I've seen is the fight has not gone away in certain areas in my life. Pride being one of them. The fight, the battle has not ended, but the defeat can end. The defeat where you're being controlled by lust, by fear, by anxiety. These things controlling your life. No, salvation is here and therefore we must fight And we can win. And we have the blood of his victory. Make no mistake. Salvation is an ongoing fight. Jude says this. This is Jesus' brother, what we understand. Jude says, Beloved, being very eager to write to you of our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, which is once for all delivered to the saints. So much in that one verse. Number one, you see the correlation between salvation and fighting for the faith. Faith is an ongoing fight where we center ourselves on the story of our salvation purchased by the blood of Jesus. And we, with authority, speak to the rest of our story. This is the testimony of the blood of Christ. This is why I, I, do, I surrender my life day by day, exchanging what I want in life for what he has dictated that he wants out of my life. Salvation and a fight. And then what's another thing that's so great about this, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We get so creative in Western culture that we think we need to like kind of recreate Christianity. Let me tell you, Christianity has been a very good, inconquerable story long before Western American culture. And it will last infinitely longer after this nation and Western cultures end. The faith that we fight for was once for all delivered to saints and salvation is here. And so we fight and there's sadness and pain. Think about your story. Even just from this year, have you had victory in your life? Have you, has you have you seen God do amazing things? Yes. Has there been sadness and pain? Has there been disappointment and heartache? 
yes, there's times of deep sorrow where it appears like the devil is winning in the world or in your life. But the same God who became man and shed his blood for you, you need to know that right here in the middle of your story being played out, he sympathizes with you. The writer of Hebrews says, we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. There is no other God like Jesus. He's near to the brokenhearted. He, at the end of days, will wipe away every tear. And he's present with us. He's given us the power to conquer. And let me highlight again verse 11. They, the, the word, they overcame him. In our version, and I don't know about your version, it's translated, they conquered the enemy by the blood of the lamb first, by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives unto death. So there's three things here. There's the blood of the lamb, which we've we've already covered. The the third thing is not loving your life unto death. Let me tell you, the only way you can not love your life unto death is if you see through the blood of Christ how he gives you new life. So if you're not yet a believer, today, even now as you're sitting in the church seats or today as you receive communion, you can do it by faith where you're not just doing a religious uh, ritual, but you can literally by faith trade your life for the Jesus, for, for the life that Jesus death and resurrection affords to you. You can trade your life for his by faith. And if you're a believer I think that the struggle often to cling to the things of the earth is often because we don't understand the gravity of our testimony. And we need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the blood of Christ, of the story, of the power of his testimony. And and we need to remember. And this remembering, this sanctified remembering is how we fight our battles. Whether it's in church services or growth groups or victory weekend, we fight temptation and lies by remembering, by coming together, by reminding each other, by preaching the word to each other. It's victorious remembering. And so today, I said we're going to practice what we see here in a special way. I want to call up my testifiers. I have, I have four people that I've asked to, to share with us. And as they're making their way up, I want to start by testifying about the power of God and his promise alive in our church this year. God has given the church the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the offices of governance. You guys can join me on the stage up here. Our church was founded over 11 years ago with a team of elders that God has blessed me with. Uh, one of those elders moved to the East Coast, and there was several years where we, uh, we didn't have a team of elders. We were waiting on the, the Lord to appoint men who could, as a team, lead the church the way the Bible describes. And those years of waiting were particularly difficult. Last year, though, at this time, maybe a week before, we're over a year into our new elder team, um, we, we saw God appoint Jess and then Thaddeus, who's out of town, to become elders. And I just want to say that this has been the best year. The 11th year was the best year 
simply seeing how God has taken who we've always been and helped us to be more of who, of who we are, of who he's called us to be. And we're unified in that. It's, it's such a, an amazing thing as a pastor to, to feel like I have men holding me up and that we hold one another up and we, we hold our families up and we stand before the church first and foremost in prayer. It's a powerful thing to experience. I want to Jess, our, uh, our eldest elder, to share kind of his perspective of the year. Most handsome, too. And, and less, follic- or most follically challenged. Yes. The, no, it's been a, just to give a testimony for this year, you know, I definitely could say honestly that I didn't know uh, exactly what, what we were getting into, uh, but it was really cool the first time we met in January, uh, we'd gone off with our wives and, and just, I think there, I think I was feeling a little pressure, like, Oh, what, what have I, what do I have to do? And I think that was the the huge revelation is that, that God showed us all. It's not what you have to do. Um, I just, I just need you to be a vessel. And we, we were able to sit down at that first meeting and it was really cool. Just, you know, I get a, my idea of a meeting and it's like this long laborious thing, if that's a word. And, and it wasn't. It was really cool, the clarity as far as the vision for this church, as far as being a, being a place where we, we, were, we were to steward uh, the growth in people and what that looked like. It wasn't about us having to get them to grow, to, to you know, pull the plant out. So it, it was really cool to see how it just, it's so smooth whenever we're listening to him and it, and it came out. And then the other testimony is, you know, we meet uh, at 530 in the morning which means you get up at 4.45, and, and it's just been a pleasant experience. And that, to me, is even a bigger testimony of the Holy Spirit when you can, you can be here at 5.30. And um, Alberto's made it. He's only missed once from oversleeping. But, <laughs> but, but to have that experience with men to where we come in, and it is the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the, the testimony is that it's just been so much for me and, and him, him uh, revealing that we're – we're not in a spot as elders to dictate what happens with the church and also not in a spot where we have to hold up the church. Um, but we, but we're able to support and, and, and through him, through his love and, and his wisdom. So I'm extremely thankful for this year and, and for God for that. Well put. Well put. I asked Jess if he could share kind of his testimony that I said, cause I'm nervous because I'm going to go too long. He says, are you not nervous that I'm not going to go too long? I said, well, less nervous than me. So, but that is, yes. Thank you. Okay. Um, so coming into this year, I was kind of like, okay, well, you know. Oh, my name's Caitlin. Um, <laughs> so coming into this year, I was kind of like, okay, well, I've been in ENC for two years now. There's nothing really that's going to be crazy. Nothing's going to change. It's just going to be a simple year. That's not true. Don't think that. Um, so, um, in about August of this year, I was in a car accident with my little sister. She's right there. You can look at her and embarrass her. Um, so we were in a car accident, and um, it was, like, really just shook me and my faith down to, like, my complete cord where I really had to just, like, stand there in front of God and be like, I don't really know what to do right now. I can't really bring anything to you because I had a bunch of fractures, like, could barely walk. It was pretty fun to watch but um, my little sister was still in the hospital and it was in this place where I was like God I can't bring anything to you like I don't know what to do and it was in that place where 
I kind of realized, like, I don't have to bring anything to God. I don't have to prove anything to God because God does it for us, like what Peter was just talking about. Like, we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to work for God. Like, God just works because he does, you know? Like, So it was just kind of in this place of this year. I was really shown how powerful and how amazing. And I just, like, even now reflecting on the year, all I can think of is, like, awe, like, just looking at awe in awe at God and how amazing and how powerful he is. Um, so, yeah. Hello, I'm Marilyn. This mic's hot. Hello. Hello, everyone. Um, a word that's been kind of an example of my year has been redemption. Um, I'm the first person in my family who's come to know the Lord. Uh, my mom has been saved for two years now, which has been amazing. My sister as well. Um, so we're just kind of transitioning into this place where we're learning how to love each other and look past um, you know, hurts and things like that. Just growing up not knowing Jesus and not knowing how to love each other the way that we're supposed to and the way that we needed. Um, so this year has really just been a testimony of, you know, walking with my mom through some things and just trusting that God has been faithful to, one, save me, but also save my family through just trusting him in prayer. Um, and then also understanding that I am called to share the gospel and to love on them and to be truthful and be a witness with my actions in my life, but it's not my responsibility to save them. Um, so in that place, just trusting that God is who he says he is. Um, he's been faithful. He will be faithful regardless of our actions and regardless of um, the responsibility that we place on ourselves to play God sometimes and the people that we love's lives. Um, so, yeah, just encouragement that he's been faithful this year for me and just trusting that he will continue to be the way. We have some testifiers. Good morning, everyone. So for those of you who may not know me, my name is Richard Linton. I'm from Jamaica. And um, on January 6th of this year, I've been faced with the most devastating time of my life. Um, I'm going to hold it together. Sorry. So um, my wife died uh, as a result of an enlarging heart. And um, we've been, I didn't know that January 6th on the morning that was going to be um, her um, last worship service here. We took communion and um, went home. We just relaxed. And then we were supposed to go to an event that night. And um, But God was just preparing me mentally. You know, we had an awesome day at church. And we're just sharing how, you know, our journey and our love for each other. And... Um, I thank you guys so much. I mean, I've seen where uh, this church has been very helpful uh, in my Christian growth. I thank God for Pastor Peter, uh, the, the growth group. I mean, it never stops here. I uh, volunteered my service with the children's church. But uh, one thing I realized when I was in the emergency room, like, I don't know, I, I was just praising God, you know, believing God for a miracle for Jay. And... Um, I was just praising him through my pain. And then when I saw the, the doctor brought, brought her, re, her wedding ring, and they're like, I'm sorry, Mr. Linton. You know, we did all we could. And I was just praising God. I'm, I'm, I think maybe the guys in the, in the other room probably said, this guy is nuts. <laughs> He's praising God and his wife is, you know, dying. But, you know, it's not for them to understand because God does what he does. And today I can rejoice 
and I know there's a greater joy that's coming, and I, I believe God for it. I know uh, Romans 8, um, I just want to share that passage. It says, um, uh, for um, remind us that uh, our present suffering is not even worthy to be compared to the joy and the love that God has in store. And then Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the thoughts that I have for you that to prosper you. And I'm just moving forward. And I mean, I can stand here boldly and say that God, if God can do it for me, he can do it for you. Just praise him through your circumstances because at the end of the day, God is the one that's going to get all the glory. God bless you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, guys. Richard, uh, Richard was a normal man before he met Jay. And he, he loved Jay, and Jay loved Jesus more. And in his relationship with Jay, Richard got to see his relationship with Jesus really grow. And when she was taken from him, he, he could have multiple times, I remember multiple times this year, oh, maybe, I, maybe I'm too sad to come to church. Listen, sometimes, sometimes you're too sad to not come to church. Bring your sadness, bring your mess to your friends and let us share. Give your friends the opportunity to obey the scripture, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. And watch how God can grow you more in that difficult time. And so I want to give you two kind of closing imperatives, things that I'm going to challenge you to do. Number one, share a sacred meal with a friend who's not in a church today. Here's what that means. You ask them if you can buy them lunch in the next few weeks and share your story. Do for them what your four brothers and sisters have just done for you, where they were brave enough to share the light of Christ, how it's come into the painful, painful parts of their darkness. And you share about how Jesus has transformed your life and given you a greater ability to have faith in him. So that sacred meal with your friends, maybe it's a friend that you're going to invite to the potluck in a few weeks or to church. The other thing is invite yourself by faith to this sacred meal. Because the reason why we can have light in the darkness and we can look back on our year and on our lives, regardless of our circumstances, it's not mind over matter. It's not if we just think hard enough, the hard things will go away. It's because the blood of Christ gives us the ability to remember things through the lens of redemption. And so as we draw to a close, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. On the night that Jesus was betrayed,